Welcome to Project BGR, craft beer and conversation. And did we mention craft beer? The beer guys Tim Dennis and Aaron Williams talk to the makers and creators from the craft beer world and beyond. Now, time for Project BGR with your hosts, Tim and Aaron. And welcome to Project BGR. I'm Aaron Williams. And I'm Tim Dennis. On this week's show, we're going to talk to Jim Matt. He's the head brewer from Cincinnati's Rheingeist. We caught up to him during the 2016 Great American Beer Fest in Denver. Let's join the conversation. Thanks for having me here. Now, you grew up in Rochester, so you're just a huge fan of Jenny Cream Ale, correct? That is exactly right. <laughs> um, the first beer that I had, uh, I won't say if I was legal or not. I can't legally say if I was legal or not, but it was Genesee Cream Ale. Um, big Genesee town. Um, uh, I grew up in the 80s, so I'm a little bit of an older guy. And um, actually, the first time I tried Genesee Cream Ale, I thought it was actually kind of awful, but I thought that Beer was a bit of an acquired taste, but um, kind of jump-started me into the beer scene. I went to school in Ithaca College. Nice. And, uh, I lived Tim, in Auburn. Tim used to live in Auburn. I lived in so, Auburn. Nice. Auburn so, so, yeah. Well, upstate New York reunion here. Absolutely. Yes. Finger Lakes action, exactly. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more, more about your craft beer story. So after starting off with Jenny Cream Ale, uh-huh. um, what got you into the good stuff? Well, um, it was kind of a progression. When I went to school in Buffalo, um, people were always excited about going up to Canada to try, oh, the beer's so much better up there. It's so much yeah. stronger. And... Um, I, I was telling them that actually it's not really because they report it as alcohol by weight up there, alcohol by volume in the state. So, um, but people are convinced it's so much better up there. And, and so we'd make runs up there. And then um, the dreaded uh, change of the drinking age came. So um, I was 19. I was legal for six months and then not for a year and a half. But you're able to go to Canada still. So I was able to go up to Canada, try some beers and not that exciting. But then Um, after I was done with my college career, uh, I got into, uh, the pharmaceutical industry and I had some friends that were introducing me to some international styles of beer, some vice beers and some English beers and just kind of running the gamut at that time. Um, Samuel Adams was becoming the craft beer and then, um, Sierra Nevada was starting to sprinkle into the the Eastern States. And then, um, just kind of being exposed to these, uh, spectrum of different flavors is really exciting. Yeah, that was kind of my intro to, to craft beer, Sam Adams. That's I worked yeah. for a, a power tool company, and we would have uh, our coworkers from Europe come over. And we had a workshop in Jackson, Mississippi one time, and they were just totally relieved that at least Sam Adams was there. And they didn't just have to drink, uh, you know, the Bud Miller Coors beers, they, you know, drinking water, basically. So it was, uh, it was a good intro, you know, start off with something with some flavor, you know, yeah. something that, that's made like that. Now, speaking of your uh, background as a chemist, to get a little a little geekier here on things, we generally keep it general, but uh, do you apply a lot of that? I, I imagine you do to your brewing, a lot of water chemistry in that to get your exact profiles? Yeah, we do. Um, my background is exactly organic chemistry, which isn't exactly applicable. And um, I never really got into beer brewing until uh, my coworker uh, back in the pharmaceutical industry, Eli Lilly, he was a big home brewer, and he goes, you got to try it. You're a chemist. You know, this makes perfect sense. And, and I was kind of blowing him off for a while. And then finally he kind of kicked me around long enough to, to actually get into it. And um, I got into the hobby pretty strong at that point. And, um, but as far as applying chemistry to it, it's, it's pretty logical progression because you're going from um, you know, a process that involves taking starches to sugar. So that's an enzymatic process that requires chemistry. And then the process of converting that sugar to ethanol and CO2, that's a yeast process that's very much into chemistry. And then then the whole hop background, um, you're dealing with a lot of uh, chemical compounds, 
terpenes, which are like essential oils and sulfur compounds and everything. So there's this whole gamut of, um, and they're mainly organic compounds that provide flavor to beer via different mechanisms, via the yeast, via the malt, and via the hops. And even water can provide um, some form of flavor enhancement to the beer if you do it right. Yeah, that's we we had a brewery in uh, Georgia where we're from that brought us in for a water chemistry uh, program, and they gave us just straight tap water and then treated water. Mm-hmm. And just drinking the water by itself, you you know you can see so much difference. And they they had us try water from uh, their porter, their IPA, and Belgian L's to see the difference in the water that they used to start that off with. And it's uh, uh water's what's it? Not water's nine or beer's ninety eight percent water, yeah. something yeah. like that. 90, so ninety ninety five percent. Yeah. So now, uh, I read something when I was looking up info for this interview. You like to just no messing around with the newbies to craft beer, no pilsners or anything like that. You like to start them right off with an IPA. Is that right? That's generally my tact on it. Um, when people say that they don't like craft beer, if you start off with an IPA, then you can always work them backwards. Because if you start them off with like, um, I mean, we do a what we call burrito. It's a Mexican lager. It's a really nice. Um, kind of amber, slightly malty beer. It's, it's not very heavy on the hops. It, right in that in that realm, yes. And um, if you start them off there and they don't like it, then there's not too much of a place to go. We we recently did brew a, a Kolsch and a, um, like a premium American lager back at the brewery. Those aren't quite available yet. Um, but with IPAs, at least, you know, you're going the very far end of the spectrum. So if you let that pendulum swing all the way to one end, then you can kind of dial it back. And hopefully you'll be able to find something. And, and even if it's not really a clean beer, so-called clean beer that you can get them with. Sometimes you can get them with a sour beer or a fruited beer. And we don't do a ton of the sour or fruited beers, but we have a couple of ones that are really special that, that we're showcasing here at the JBF. Yeah, so sort of kind of opening people up to, to just really kind of hit them in the nose with a big IPA. They may like it. They may like it, yeah. And then and then they're, they're hooked because none of the, the really uh, mega guys do that unless they buy up somebody that actually does that. Um, which that has been happening quite a bit, but yeah, um, your IPA truth isn't exactly on the extreme end of the spectrum as far as flavor goes. Very nicely balanced. It's a you know really great IPA. So it's if you're going to start them off with an IPA, you know that's a lot better than some of the the, the very heavily ones. West yeah. Coast style beers. So. Exactly. Yeah. Um, truth is very by by today's standards middle of the road. I think that that people um, fail to remember that the IPA style was started. It was barely over five percent. Um, the lore is that it was put on ships to go and sail around India. Um, the whole reason for using those hops was microbial stability. So prevented the, the beer from getting sour from things in the air. The, the hops are a natural antimicrobial compound. Um, but the thing is, um, the, the other side of the coin is with IPAs, is there, there's so much hop character in there that they're actually not very shelf-stable. That hop character oxidizes very quickly. You want to keep those beers cold. Drink them within 90 days, and um, yeah, truth is 7.2, which by today's standards isn't isn't too rough. And um, we actually chose not to enter at Great American Beer Festival this year. We uh, we had entered it a few times, and um, we kind of were thinking it's like, well, it, it's hard to compete against the guys that really win it. Um, we may make another IPA at some point and enter that IPA, but um, but truth kind of falls squarely in the middle, and it sometimes get lost gets lost because of that. As far as competition goes, as far as people drinking it. It's our biggest selling beer, so we're not complaining about that. It's 40% of our sales. You're listening to Project BGR. It's time for us to take a quick break, but we'll be back with more with Jim from Ryan Geist right after this. 
Hey, this is Aaron. I want to thank you so much for listening to the Beer Guys Radio Show. We've got some really awesome things that are coming soon that will help us engage with you some more. We're not going to lie to you, though. It takes time, effort, and money to produce this show every week. So if you'd like to be part of the Beer Guys family, we would love your help. Head to patreon.com slash beerguys to become a sponsor. We're not going to beg. Okay, maybe just a little bit. But hey, we've got some great swag for those who become a sponsor, and you'll be among the first to know about the great things that are coming to the Beer Guys universe. Again, that's patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash beerguys. Or you can go to beerguysradio.com and click the sponsor link. We thank you for your support and cheers. Welcome back to Project BGR. We're talking to Jim Matt from Rheingeist. Did you enter any other beers in GABF this year? We did. I'd rather not discuss exactly what we entered. Yeah, um, actually, um, I think at this point, uh, the only reason I don't announce it ahead of time is if there's a judge that's listening, it could contaminate the pool. But sure. um, if you look at our beers that are available on the floor, that may give you a very heavy indication to what we entered. But um, I will tell you what's on the floor. Um, what we have is... Is um, it's not striker, but it's striker. Um, it's named after our lead brewer. Um, inspires fear in the hearts of kids and women, and all that. Just kidding. Most brewers he's, he's do, a nice guy. So yeah. Okay, yeah. So, so we consider it a. We, we made up the style, the fake style triple IPA, but it's really a big double IPA. Um, it's got some galaxy hops and some amarillo in it, so it's it's really nice and, and beautiful. Um, burrito. Um, we call it a Mexican lager. Um, it's it's kind of the Vienna lager style. It's not. Pacifico light. It's not Negro Mandel dark, but it's kind of in the middle. Um, really easy to drink. We found a really nice yeast strain that we like for that. We have Puma Pilsner, which was a released beer. Um, we brewed one extra batch at the tail end of, uh, of the season, and we put it through an extra filtration to get it brilliantly clear. German-style Pilsner, it's really nice. Um, peach Dodo is a beer that um, has been released in cans. It's a, a peach goza, a goza being the German sour ale with a little bit of salt. We um, forewent the uh, coriander in it um and then uh kind of a beer that we're super excited about and um it's been selling like hotcakes on the floor already selling going um it's called margarita monday um we haven't ttb'd that yet and they probably won't let us do it um so we took that unpeached goza and uh we put it into tequila barrels for six weeks and we infused lime salt lime zest and lime juice in it and then we pulled it out and carbonated it and um it was just kind of uh, Luke, who's our barrel master, and I we were sitting around drinking margaritas, and I was asking him, hey, can you get tequila barrels? And he's like, hell yeah, I can get tequila barrels. So we got them here lo- actually locally from Rocky Mountain Barrel Company. They're up in Wheat Ridge and uh, kind of expensive to get, but it was worth it because um, I think it, there's no such thing as a perfect beer in my mind, but um, the thing I like to look at perfection-wise is like what's your intention and how how close do you become to hitting that, and it's like, our intention was to mimic drinking a margarita and a beer. I think we hit that 10 out of 10. I happen to know somebody who also had a margarita type of goza yeah, that's for a homebrew. So. That's why Aaron gave me a nod. I have a keg of margarita goza on at home right now that, that I made. So and I, I put it in a competition recently. I didn't medal, but I got a 38 for it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, respectable score. And it's one that... Uh, you know, we're still warm out there in Georgia. We, I think we were 88 yesterday. So for those that don't know, I don't think we set this up. We're actually in Denver, Colorado at the Great the American, American Beer Festival. Beer Festival. Beer Festival. So, yeah. It was a, a rare um, rainy 50-degree day this morning, but the sun has come out, and it's supposed to be 60s and 70s and, and typical Denver weather. Just plug in Denver a little bit. I hope so because uh, 
I only brought short sleeves, so hopefully we'll be okay. So, uh, Ryan, guys, based in Cincinnati. Um, yes. For those who haven't been to Cincy, tell us about that as a beer town. Well, um, prior to Prohibition, it was a big beer town. Um, over two dozen breweries existed, and um, it, it's located on the river with a good water source. So the transportation of beer in and out of the city was actually really facile. And then that, that dreaded uh, uh, Prohibition came along, and then all the breweries essentially closed down shop Um the city has a lot of German influence. A lot of German immigrants came in the 1800s, so they were very thirsty for their beer. Um, so this large lull kind of went by up until about um, the late 90s. A couple um, small microbreweries opened up, and then um, uh, right around early 2010 or so, um, a lot more beer, um, beer breweries opened up, um, gained some momentum, and um, the, the one uh, brewery that um, did kind of come back from the pre-prohibition areas called um, Christian Moorline, um, affiliated with Hootapole. Um, so they were kind of one of these that that went away and survived. And then um, the the one of the guys locally um, bought the brand back. So um, lots of empty buildings that used to house breweries were in one of those buildings. We're in the old Christian Moorline bottling building, and they used to produce about three or four hundred thousand barrels back uh, pre-prohibition. So we have this one hundred thousand square foot. Uh, building was built in 1895 um that was set up for like lots of equipment and all that so um given uh that that catalyst of having the craft beer come back to cincinnati um we've grown to have a couple of dozen breweries in the area now ranging from anywhere from micro to uh our size and we're actually the large if you don't include samuel adams boston beer uh company they're just down the street from us we're the largest brewery in cincinnati and the second largest brewery in ohio so does the German influence then influence your name, Rheingeist? Is that how it does? It does, yeah. So we're in an area called Over the Rhine, and Over the Rhine was um, like a lot of the German immigrants settled there. There was a canal that went through the area. Um, but then after Prohibition, and um, the, the area kind of fell flat and had some, some problems with crime and all that. For many, many years, it was considered one of the most dangerous areas in the entire United States. Um, but a lot of restaurants came by in the, in the lower part, um, closer to the river, and then the area where we are is still north of uh, what's called Liberty Street. That's kind of the dividing line of over the Rhine. So um, developed that um, close to Finley Market, which is one of the longest-running public markets in Ohio. Um, and then things just kind of built up, um, gradually gained momentum. There's a streetcar that starts right on the river by the baseball stadium that ends right on our doorstep. So a lot of that has happened over just the past three years. It's really that, and that's interesting. I was recently in Cleveland a couple of weeks ago, and it mm-hmm. seems very similar set up there because they've got an open market, a mm-hmm. couple of breweries, a lot of like craft markets and those types of things. It really seems that uh, that craft breweries and markets like that are really helping in revitalizing some downtrodden areas and urban areas too. Definitely so. And I think that um, I, I won't take the credit for Ryan guys totally sure. doing that, but um, – I think that that it's a it's a mindset of like, hey, we can affect change. We don't have to have these downtrodden areas kind of dictate our life. We can we can turn it around. And um, one of the local companies in um, Cincinnati, three CDC, has done a, a really great job of of revitalizing the entire area and has infused a lot of area uh, money in the area. Now, Jim, you guys are a fairly new brewery, right? Two thousand thirteen, is that correct? correct. That you opened yeah, up. June so two thousand thirteen is when we opened. And so since then, you've won the BA's top-selling new craft brewery in 2014 and uh, an expansion in 2015. So mm-hmm. in three short years, you guys have accomplished quite a lot there. So what uh, what do you think you owe that to? A, a, a broad question there to, to ask that. but 
Um, I think that that's a multifaceted answer. I think that um, the at the time that we opened, the city was looking for um, modern brands, modern styles that were done well. I like to think that we do those well. Um, you know, we are always tweaking, and um, we've got a, a pretty uh, broad sensory program and, and quality program that I'm heading up myself. Um, but also just uh, just being able to, to come into the market and... Um, it's marketing too. We have a really strong marketing background, and um, uh, I won't tell the joke that uh, we're really a, a marketing company that brews occasional beer. That yeah. kind of makes the marketing that, company that kind of upset. Success no, exactly. Um, yeah, but but it's part of it. Um, and and we were discussing it, and it, and it kind of grew on me the marketing because I'm I'm not a marketing guy. I don't really. It, it's kind of one of those things like I can recognize something that I like or not. I don't come up with these artistic ideas. I'm yeah. I'm a scientific guy, but. But if you look at our logo, it's like it has some um, eyes on it. And, and if you're across the room and there's a tap handle there, it's like in two dimensions, these right. eyes are always looking at you. So yeah. there's something to be said about that. And I don't necessarily think the marketing guys thought that deeply into it. But it but it was enough that it's distinguishing. It's clean. It's simple. And um, the, the city of Cincinnati was ready for that. And um, we were... We were among three or four other breweries that were opening at the time, and then since then another you know, 10 or 15 have opened up. Now talk to us a little bit about your craft cider program. Are you working on that too? Yes. Um, I've kind of handed it off to somebody else that's a little bit more knowledgeable about that, but um, we figured that that was a bit of an untapped market. We're hitting the people that enjoy gluten-free beer, uh, gluten-free beverages, I should say, um, but also people that just don't necessarily like beer. There are those people I, I shudder to think of that, They're but crazy, but yes, that's right. exactly. <laughs> so, um, cider is a is a bit of a different market in that um, I don't the the entire cider market is growing, um, but but you look at it compared to beer, the beer is growing a bit faster. But I I think that um, we collectively thought that there was a market for that. Um, the advantage to cider over beer is that the shelf stability is a lot better. So if we want to um, test some markets out, like we are with Boston. We sprinkle a little bit of cider in there, and um, you know our semi-dry cider has a really long shelf life to it. So we sprinkle the cider out there. If, if it if it takes hold, then we say, hey, we maybe send some beer out there. If not, then we don't. So um, it kind of allows the brand to be expanded via via another vehicle of beverage. So you have a dry hop cider as well. Is that correct? We do. Does yes. That have the same shelf stability as uh, the dry cider, or more? no, not quite. Um, yeah. We've tested it, and it's, it's about 120 days on that one. Um, just the hops fall out, typical with beer. The oxidative character of that um, cider is a little bit different than beer. I mean, you you'll drink it as as a dry hop cider, and you won't. If I didn't tell you, you wouldn't be able to tell necessarily it was dry hop because you don't get those typical oxidative character of of hops in that. But um, but it falls out, and it becomes very very dry. It's a very dry cider. We we dry it out completely so that um, essentially no residual sugar left. But um, the semi-dry has a lot better legs to it. Yeah. Um, we're just about ready to wrap it up here, too. But just quickly talk to us a little bit about some of the collaborations you've done, particularly with New Belgium. Oh, it's really exciting. Yeah. So um, New Belgium, the collaboration, we were approached by them. They were doing the um, Fat Tire and Friends pack. So we're happy to, to uh, en- um, enter in that process. And uh, the, the beer that we decided on, I actually took my own version of fat tire what i thought was in my head and they're like the malt bill is nothing like it but i think it tastes a lot like fat tire but um we do a beer called fiction so we put a fiction spin on it and fiction is um uses a belgian yeast a roquefort yeast which doesn't throw a lot of phenolics it's very fruity and we use nelson savan and motuika hops in there which we love can't necessarily get and then um 
threw a couple of hops that um, they had over at New Belgium into there, and um, they brewed it on a pilot scale and um, released it, you know, into like 47 different states. So really excited to be involved in that process. And then um, my friends, my dear friends at Sun King Brewing, last year we did um, Emergency Hop Kit, uh, which was a kind of a hybrid between their Osiris Pale Ale and our Truth. Do not be surprised if you see another collaboration with Sun King coming up. It's kind of leaked out into the public. I won't talk about it too much, but um, um, it is not emergency hop kit this time, but it's something else. Um, we also did a collaboration with Three Weavers in L.A. We did a Penguin, which is a blonde stout. So it's a stout that essentially has no roast malt in it. We infuse a little bit of coffee and cacao nibs uh, after fermentation is done. Um, they did that at our facility and then we just went out there about a week ago, and we did a, um, it's a sour saison um, with a pluot. Pluot's um, hybrid between a plum and an apricot. So um, that beer is just getting finished, and it's going to be released in the L.A. area. And then uh, talking with some other people about collaborations and see how that lines up for next year. Excellent. James Matt for Brian Guys Brewing, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much. Appreciate, Appreciate it. it. Thanks for listening to Project BGR, and of course, a special thanks to Jim Matt from Rheingeist for taking the time out to talk with us. You can learn more about the brewery at rheingeist.com. That is R-H-I-N-E-G-E-I-S-T.com. You got that, Aaron? I don't. I'm going to have to Google that okay, because that's way too hard for me to do. Anyway, Project BGR is available on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. And uh, if you can do us a favor, subscribe and leave a rating because it uh, really helps. Definitely. Really subscribe yeah. your mom. Take her computer and subscribe. Leave a Brother, rating sister, her, so all that stuff. Exactly. So, Plus, you can tune into Beer Guys Radio every Saturday for all the news you need to know about the craft beer movement in the Southeast. We podcast that show, too. We're out there on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, so just search for Beer Guys Radio. Cheers, and we'll talk to you next time.